I'm Aysan, and this is the last Friday show before Christmas. Joining me to get into some festive football chat, I've got my two trusted Friday show co-pilots, Howard and Steve. Morning, Steve. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm grand and dandy. I'm getting into the Christmas spirit. Do you like Christmas? I adore Christmas. I'm not such a fan of New Year. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Morning, Howard. Uh, Good morning. Do you like Christmas? Uh, (laughs) I don't care. I mean, is this a surprise to you? It's not religious side that, you know, no one's, is anyone bothered about the religious side? They just want to eat and drink. So, yeah, it's all right. I think it was better when I worked in an office all week because breaking up for Christmas was like the last day at school. It was, and you just got a week off. So I loved it then. Now, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, New Year's Eve, I despise, but yeah, going to friends, so that's okay. It's, it's more the old days of going out in town, which was just horrific. But mm. uh, yeah, it's all right. But it's just, I just find it amazing. People spend <laughs> six months planning it, and it's just gone into it like that. How Howard Hawking on Christmas? It's all right, isn't it? The best thing. Well, I like giving worst chippy dinners. I like giving presents, so. So to get presents and give presents on the same day is good for me. So. Yeah. Christmas I, I, Eve is And my gravy is just to die for. So. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's yeah. just the recipe. It, for all listeners, quite often before the pod starts, we often talk about kind of cookery for some weird reason. We should definitely do a cookery pod. <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> not a bad shout, you know. Can you I do mashed cook- potatoes, remember? Can you do oh, cooking yeah. podcasts? Are there cooking podcasts out there? Listener, if you listen to a cooking podcast and you like it, send it to us so we can uh, <laughs> so we can have a listen and, and, and steal their just, ideas. Just cook the t- just turn the turkey upside down for the first hour. That's all you're getting before Christmas. Okay. That's your one tip. That's the hot tip for the day. All yeah. right. Well, listen. Just do it upside down for an hour. Enough Christmas because we've got a lot of football to to dive into before the uh, before the turkeys next week. Um, I'm foregoing an opening question because we didn't really talk about the Champions League knockout draw that happened on Monday. I thought it'd be interesting uh, to kind of look at all of those ties and kind of see how we feel about them. Like, what's the most watchable? What's got the biggest narrative around it? Oh, I, I kind of feel like the knockout stage of the Champions League is when it begins for real, real. So uh, I always look forward to it. Um, just to start with, Steve, looking across all the ties, I'll read them out. It's uh, Liverpool, Bayern, Spurs, Dortmund, Ajax, at Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Juventus, United, PSG, Leon, Barca, Roma, Porto, and City, Schalke. Um, what's the biggest of the round for you? Oh, the biggest for me would be Liverpool Bayern. Uh, it's quite a, a, an intriguing kind of matchup as well. Um, the kind of narrative going round is that Liverpool could very easily have a beating of Bayern. Um, that their kind of approach would be anathema to kind of what Bayern are all about, and that they showed some you know weaknesses this season. Um, so in terms of the scale of it and what it represents and the, you know, the intriguing elements within, um, for me, that's the biggest of the, tie, uh, of the ties. I think in terms of watchability, if that's a word, um, this is not a cop-out, but I think they all are. And I think you, you had it absolutely right. This is when it matters. This is when it all turns real. And this is when you've got games like Spurs-Dortmund, 
United PSG. I could happily, you know, sit and watch 180 minutes of that. Mm. Um, Leon Barca, but, you know, as regards to City, and I'm sure we'll get on to that very shortly, we got lucky. We got the uh, we got the long straw, didn't we, there? So, um, yeah, I'm, I can't wait for it to begin. This is when it really matters for me. I, I will say that in seasons past, the group stages were becoming somewhat of a farce and you knew who was going to finish top, who was going to finish second, and, and it was just, you know, kind of a possession. Um, that's changed, I think, in, in the last few years. And so certainly this season, I've enjoyed the group stages more. Um, I think City were, were kind of, it was good that we were in a really entertaining group with loads of goals and teams that played kind of open, expansive football. Um, but really, when you get to the knockouts now, God, this is it, isn't it? This is what, what matters. Mm. Um, Howard, what about for you when you kind of look across those ties? Is there one that jumps out for you as that's potentially yeah. interesting or going to be fun? Uh, well, first, first things first, Just I think the important thing to say is they're two months away. Uh, obviously, everyone's analysing. Naturally, you analyse them who would beat who as if they're playing next week. Oh, yeah, of course. I but mean, a lot can change in those totally. two months. Bayern might have got the... You know, shit together. Mm. Uh, Schalke might be playing up the table. Messi might be injured. Blah blah blah. You just don't know what's in two months is a very very long time in football. Uh, it might be a very different analysis if we we compare them just before they played. Uh, I agree with with Stay. I think Liverpool Bayern stands out, but just if it was uh, obviously United PSG is very interesting because. Well, it would have been more interesting if Jose Mourinho had stayed because it would have just been, you know, get the popcorn in, basically. <laughs> because I think they would have destroyed... And, yeah, not much you can do with the January window. So maybe they'll still... You know, that front three, if, if they're fit and playing, should still destroy United's defence. But just as a... Well, I like to watch entertainment matches. I think Spurs-Dortmund really... It really interests me. Because I just think they'll be two absolutely cracking matches. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of attacking football. Uh, that's one that I can just sit down and watch and what happens, happens. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that one stands out for me. Athletic Juve is obviously, it's interesting, but it doesn't, I don't know, Spurs Dortmund just seems more entertaining to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Athletic Juve will be, will be a fascinating tactical yeah. 180 minutes, but I'm not sure how much pure entertainment there'll be there. I think for me, when I look across all those ties, from the moment they were all drawn, the one that really jumped out, weirdly enough, was Ajax-Real Madrid. I think because everybody... Ajax and Dutch football in general is kind of considered to be, you know, they're considered to be the whipping boys of when when you get to this stage of tournaments like this. Um, But I actually think that this Ajax team look special, they look different. They have something about them that, you know, they kind of remind me of maybe the Monaco side that went far in the Champions League a few years ago or um, even this season's Leon side. I mean, I don't think they have as many top players as this Leon side does or as the Monaco side does, but I think they have enough quality and are organised enough and Madrid are haphazard enough right now and again, like you know, we're talking about two months from now. It could be very, very different. But if these ties were being played next weekend, I'd fancy Ajax to turn to turn Real Madrid over. Um, 
so yeah so for me of 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 all of them from a i guess maybe from um what you would consider to be an uh, an upset or a surprise point of view i think i think ajax madrid is the one where i can see a surprise happening i'm not so hot on liverpool bayern because i think liverpool will wipe the floor with bayern over 180 minutes unfortunately i just think that that Bayern are, are really not that good. And the problems that Bayern have are all the, exactly the kinds of problems that I think that Liverpool will will absolutely feast on. Um, and then, yeah, kind of looking across the rest of them, I think United PSG probably has a very different complexion now than it did a week ago. Um, Although I guess we'll talk about Solskjaer a little bit later. We'll have to see how he does in the next two months. But certainly right now on paper, that tie suddenly has become a little bit more interesting than it was previously. Um, anything either of you want to say? Maybe, I'll, Howard, I'll start with you. Just on City Schalke, is there, do, is there a little bit of a danger that we, and when I talk about we, I just talk about the supporters, that we kind of go into this like we went into the, the beginning of the group stage in that Leon game sort of going, oh, well, this is going to be dead easy. Um, do you think there's a risk of complacency, even though Schalke aren't doing great in their league, in their domestic league? Do you think there's a risk that we could get complacent? Absolutely. I mean, don't matter what the fans think, it's, a, it's how the players approach it. Uh, yeah, there was that dichotomy again. You know, we played Leon, they weren't playing brilliantly in the league. Don't think before either leg. Well, they're doing quite well for the first leg. Same with Hoffenheim. Uh, these are teams that gave us problems who are not storming the domestic league. Now, Schalke are obviously even further down, but that doesn't mean that there's another huge chasm of quality between them and the likes of Leon and Hoffenheim. They have got, whatever their group was, they still got to the knockout stage of the Champions League. This might be a competition where they excel while struggling in the league. So, absolutely. It's the knockout stages of the Champions League. There's absolutely no place for uh, complacency, whoever you get. And Pep, obviously, we've discussed it many times. Pep will be drumming that into them uh, mm. repeatedly in the lead up to the game. Okay. Um, Steve, is there anything that you. Are there, are there any of those ties in which you feel a potential upset is on the cards? I can't. Well, I do agree with you about Ajax. I think they've, they've got four or five top quality players there and they're all young as well and it's it's a really good analogy you make there with with Monaco team of two years ago um so there is a possibility there of an upset um elsewhere not really um you're kind of looking through them and you would expect the the, you know the pre-match favorites to to prevail which is what actually makes kind of Atletico Madrid Juve so interesting because okay you could say that Juve are, the, are going to be the favourites but only marginally yeah um and as you said it that's going to be a real kind of tactical breakdown really um, mm. as opposed to kind of all out warfare so it's whoever comes out on top there but it's, yeah there's, there's no real kind of um, giant killing a foot I don't think and as no, regards to kind of compl- sorry mate, but as regards to complacency with City exactly as Howard said the fans will be complacent. Undoubtedly, so I'm a little bit complacent about it, um, but that matters not a jot. I don't think the players will be at all. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I think Spurs and Dortmund. I think the interesting thing is that actually, on paper, they're all, with the exception of City, Schalke, and Leon Barca, which feel a little bit like mismatches. If you look at all the other ties, I think they're actually 
they feel competitive. Liverpool Bayern feels like a competitive tie. Spurs Dortmund feels like two very similar sides who play similar football, similar types of managers who are highly rated, similar types of squads with like lots of young players, players with experience. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, it's uh, for a round of 16, you kind of look across those. Even Roma Porto, I kind of look yeah. at Roma Porto and I go, interesting. I'm not sure who, who I'd pick as the as the favourite out of out of either of those. Um, is it from the it's from the quarterfinals that the draws are open and you can have teams from your own country, can't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think they do two rounds at once as well. The draw this time. But. Yes, they do. They'll do the. I think they do the quarters and the semis <laughs> at the same time. So you sort of know if you get through the quarter, the the winner of which quarter or the quarterfinal you'll be. Mm. Um, You'll be playing. What's, what's the logic in doing that? I wasn't even aware of that. I don't know. I was discussing it after the uh, match on the tram, I think. Transparency in a way that no one can, you know, there's always about, there's always people talking about uh, warm balls and whatnot and fix <laughs> and oh, what a surprise. Mate, we've had a lot of those this week. <laughs> well, I think we need, to dis- we need to discuss briefly in a bit all our cup draws because it, you know, I think it's a relevant point. I think if you do two at once, then you remove that sort of talk, in theory, anyway. Yeah, yeah but That's the be... only thing. I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of. They've done it before, but then they got rid of it, and now it's back again. So I don't know, to be honest. I guess it just transparency is my only guess for that. So. But, you, but you could just do, you know, get both of your fixes in on one night, couldn't you? Yeah, but you don't know. By doing the semi, you don't really know who, you know, the four teams are that are yeah, at that yeah, yeah. stage. So. Yeah, yeah harder to fix something if you don't know which team will be there. (laughs) Um, Listen, so just to wrap up this uh, quick Champions League chat, um, if you remove City from the conversation, looking across all the other teams that are left in it, who do you least want to play and who do you think is most likely outside of City to go all the way to the final? Steve, I'll start with you. The team I least want to face would be um, either Atletico Madrid or Juve. The team yeah. I most want to face is Liverpool. <laughs> Interesting. Absolutely, 100%. Bring them on. Mm-hmm. Don't need that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true hockey. Um, so go on then, Howard. What, what about you? Who, who, who would you least like to face and who outside of City do you think should be the favourites? I think Barcelona always... You know, I, I don't think this is this is not peak Barcelona. I don't think the whatever happens this season will say this is one of their great sides. But still, you look at that front line. You look at Messi, of course. I think anyone with you know those players are still to be to be uh, you know fearful of in a way. And whilst I don't fear them, I do have to. You know, I have to pick out Juve. It's weird. They don't. They don't hit me as a frightening team it would destroy you but I do think that they are very they could be not they're not even dark horses really but you know they've been close so many times recently I think they've got a very good chance of going all the way so it is for me as well and well no it's Liverpool really because I just don't need that crap <laughs> so <laughs> I don't care I just don't need three weeks of that anymore I, it's a living <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm too old for that. Uh, yeah, so for me, it's Barcelona first, and then Juventus because they're a very quietly dangerous side. Juventus, I think the 
settled and got quality players just across the park. So. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to go with Barca for both. Uh, uh, Barca are the team I least want to play. And they're also the team who outside of City, when I look across what's left in, in the competition, I think Barcelona are probably the most likely to go all the way and, and win it if it's not going to be City. I, just, I, I get the impression that Messi's got the bit between his teeth. I read um, recently that there's maybe a feeling around Messi and around Barcelona that for, for how long he's been there and, and for how long he's been the best player on earth, um, he hasn't won enough. Champions Leagues mm. so yeah I mean I, I get the impression that they'll be big on it this year and so yeah they'd be the team I'd want to avoid it'd be a hell of a final though Barcelona against City oh yeah yeah Pep against Barcelona yeah. would be yeah it'd be a mind-blowing final um, right. Ethan, can I just ask uh, can I just ask what the reception was like in in Paris when uh, they were tied with United yeah I mean so a lot of celebrating and <laughs> Following the sacking of Mourinho, a lot of, uh, yeah, I mean, people's attitudes have changed in the last 36 hours. I think right. that suddenly everybody is very, very, very concerned because I think, you know, I mean, again, we'll talk about it in, in a minute about the whole United Mourinho Solskjaer thing. But I think that we in England, or not that I'm in England, but people who are kind of regular, who live in that Premier League bubble, I don't think we realise how bad United were under Mourinho. I think yeah. it's it's only when you kind of step out of the Premier League bubble and you begin to talk to to people who maybe view it from the outside that they kind of everybody wanted Man United. Do you know what I mean? Like they they're awful. They're a team who they, they, <laughs> they no. I mean just to, yeah, not agree. to take take the mick, but like if you're if you're a European, if you're Paris Saint Germain, you look at you look at what United did against Sevilla over two legs last season, the way that they played and, and the teams that Mourinho picked, and you go, we, we've won the jackpot here. Outside of getting Porto or Schalke, this is pretty much the best you could hope for to get this Man United team. So, And I think that the unknown is scarier right now for, for PSG than what the known of Mourinho was, which it, it says a lot about the way in which maybe Mourinho's reputation has fallen, that Paris Saint-Germain are more concerned about facing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Man United than they were about facing Jose Mourinho's Man United. Mm. Yeah. Um, right. Let's talk a little bit about City over the last uh, over the last week or so. Um, I think the thing I want to talk about first is Eric Garcia's performance in the uh, in the League Cup. Um, Howard, is he the real deal? Oh, can, I can't, I can't say can, that off there. Uh, can you not make that judgment off one performance? <laughs> no. Why? <laughs> Sorry. Why? Yeah, because it's one performance. But it's Why? a competitive game against uh, a team that are that play in the Premier League. So I yeah, uh, we I'm do not, this I'm with not his career out over a Carabao Cup tie. So no, but uh, yeah, the if, point, I'm not. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me make my point right. We watch yeah. Foden come on, make little substitute appearances of 10, 15 minutes, right? And we wave the flag going, he's the real deal. He deserves minutes, et cetera, et cetera. It, Garcia played 90 minutes. And for me in that 90 minutes, he was arguably man of the match and certainly played with a maturity that 
is way beyond his years, way, way, way beyond his years. So I'm not, I'm not like digging you out. I'm just curious as to what, what the, how do you make, where's the line then? What do I have to wait for him to do before I can say he's the real deal in the same way that, that Foden's the real deal? Uh, become a fixture in the first team would be when you can say he's the real deal. Okay. Uh, I'm not arguing anything you say. It was, you know, for that age, I know what Barcelona fans think when they lost him. They're, they're crying. Uh, you know, he clearly is just tipped to be a superstar, just, you know, one, one of the best. And his performance back that up that, yeah, it seems what people are saying is, is spot on. But it's still one game. Uh, you know, at Foden, you're right in a way. We haven't seen enough to know, but I did actually, you know, watch a bit more of him at youth level because obviously he is of interest to City fans probably more than any of the youth player. So I've not just seen a few substitute appearances from him. You know, I've seen years of appearances. Uh, yeah, so far, the... He looks the real deal. It was assured, you know, just shows he's got his performance of a of an adult, really, not a, a teenager. Uh, and if you're doing that at 17, as long as he develops, then the sky is the limit for him, undoubtedly. Mm. And then we'll all have the same arguments in a year as why is he not getting more game time? <laughs> but, you know, they're so young, they just, uh, they just need to be controlled you know slowly and surely so but yeah it's a great sign and he'll probably play you know every chance he'll play both semi-final legs now so this is his routine in a way into you know progressing towards the first team absolutely um steve i'm gonna ask you a different question i mean you can talk about the question that i asked as well but um i'm curious i saw that pep was asked afterwards about his size there was, there was a conversation was had about the fact that i think he's only 5'10 or 5'11 um only yeah but i mean i guess for <laughs> center half that's uh, yeah, yeah. that's 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 not a that's not a, a <laughs> yeah. giant of a man let's put it that way um do you think in the modern game playing in 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 the way in which we play under guardiola do you think that size isn't really important do you think that's something that will hinder garcia or do you feel that his all-round game will be more important? I definitely think that size is important. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it is, though. I mean, joking aside, in the modern game, size is important. I look at Jordan Pickford. It's kind of people kind of um, say that's a flaw in his game. I think he's six foot, isn't he, Jordan Pickford? Um, Shea Given, six foot. You just view him as a a short goalkeeper who was a bit suspect on crosses. Um, and the same goes for centre halves. Um, you know, size does count. Um, I, I would say though that when you brought up out Garcia, then I kind of went onto his Wikipedia page um, just to remind me of any kind of details. And I, I was actually drawn to his height before you even brought that up. Uh, and I thought, what five ten? Because that was a performance of you know. I, I genuinely assumed he was six one mm-hmm. from his performance. So. Really, there is that kind of balance between how important kind of physique is in in the modern game to kind of, you know, what your actual performance is in itself. Because, you know, I could refer you to Manchester United this season where they just look like kind of um, a team of giants with, you know, Fellaini and Matic and Lukaku, etc. And yet they've been woeful. So performance will always outweigh kind of physicality. Um, But in a modern game, sadly, yeah, you, you don't see... 
diminutive footballers anymore, or far few of them. Um, and as somebody who writes about football, I never get the chance to write the word diminutive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to Garcia, yeah, he, he just looked a giant in in every way, regardless in in his performance. Um, as Howard said, it was assured, it was composed. What really, really impressed me was there was a five-minute period in the first half where he did an awful pass. I mean, basically straight to a Leicester player, didn't even look up kind of thing. Uh, two minutes later, he was caught out positionally, and a minute after that was a misplaced pass, something very forgivable. All in a five-minute period. He's 17 years of age, and he then went on to put in a performance as he did. So if we're talking about physique and how important that is in a modern game, yes, it's definitely more of a factor than it used to be. But if we're talking about mentality as well, I would say that's more important than it used to be as well with all the demands and all the pressures on modern footballers in comparison to their predecessors. And Eric Garcia, from what I saw in that 90 minute, has the mentality to be an absolute elite player. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I am... I was really excited by what I saw in preseason, and and that performance kind of reinforced uh, the performance that he, he put in against Leicester. Just reinforced the quality that I think that he's got. And I think, like Howard said, you just need to read what Barcelona fans have said about <laughs> him this week to know that we've got ourselves a gem. Do you uh, think he's going to be uh, company's successor, or is that putting too much on the lad? I think it's hard to assess how Guardiola will balance the development of youth with the immediacy of uh, the Premier League and the Champions League and being a manager at, at, at the very top end, which is where Guardiola is. Um, and we've seen already with, with Foden where maybe we would have expected more minutes, but in the end, Pep has got his hierarchy and there are more senior players who play ahead of Foden. And I think that it may well be a similar thing with Garcia where we, the clamour for him to play regularly comes quite some time before he actually begins to play regularly. And weirdly enough, you know, I mean, it's interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I think Pep's probably changed... Uh, not changed, but I imagine that when Guardiola went from Barca B to Barcelona and took loads of Barca B players with him and suddenly got this reputation for for loving young players and, and having faith in youth and all that sort of stuff, I think it was probably true at that time that he'd coached those young players, so the Pedros and the Busquets of this world, coached them in Barca B and then brings them with him to the Barcelona A team and he gets this reputation for for kind of developing young players and playing young players. Um, But I imagine that at Bayern that began to fade. I think other than Kimmich, there wasn't really a whole heap of what you would consider to be youth development. It was a very senior squad and, and it kind of remained that way. Results were kind of more important. And I think that it'll be a similar thing at City. And that's not to say that results weren't more important at Barcelona, but I think weirdly enough, his rep, who he was within Barcelona, the manner in which he got the job, the position that Barcelona were in at that particular moment in time, and the way that 
Pep wanted to deal with maybe getting rid of the Ronaldinho's and the Decos of this world made it a lot easier. And even getting rid of Torre made it a lot easier to do the things that, that he did then. That's simply not the case here. So, yeah, sorry, long long story short, I, I think that we will clamour for kids long before Pep will actually play those kids, even if we think that they're, that they're ready, if that makes sense. No, I completely um, agree with all that, yeah. Howard, um, in terms of De Bruyne and his kind of return, I want you to talk about what kind of an impact you think that can have on the rest of our season, but also equally as importantly, um, if you look at the kind of the severity of the injuries that he's had, how do you balance? How do you balance getting him back into the team with not wanting to rush him back? So, for example, he does however much time he did on Tuesday. Does, does does he just continue to start and the minutes just get longer and longer and then, you know, in two or three weeks' time, that's it. He plays every game, every minute again. Or do you think with the injuries that he's had that maybe his minutes will be managed in a different way? Yeah, you're starting, but because it's the, the Christmas rush, I think there'll be one, at least one game within that. Assuming he stays fit and everything's fine. He'll still be dropped, you know, rested for one of those games. He's not going to play incessantly. Uh, I know he's had two different injuries, but the last one was a bit of a freak. Let's be honest. Uh, you know, just player, the way he landed and so on. Uh, I think you just have to forget it. He's bad fit. You know, I don't think we're dealing with a Mendy here. Who, you know, you, you worry that he's, it's going to become a pattern. I think he's just been unlucky this season. So. Uh, obviously, the medical staff know better, and the Carabao Cup was perfect. It gave him and you know the likes of Aguero match fitness. So yeah, he surely starts against Palace, uh, but Pep will probably, if the games are going well, be looking to. He'll be one to be substituted with twenty minutes to go. Mm. So maybe ninety minutes are not on the cards, you know, in the near future. Plus, he is rested for one of the games over the Christmas period. Perhaps Southampton away. I don't know because that comes before the Liverpool match. So, uh, it's been training, I think, for quite a while now. So, I think it's just to just, uh, treat him now as a, a fully fit, uh, available player for the squad. Mm. Do you think he can have a big impact on the rest of the season? And I guess what I mean by that is I'm interested in, in, the, um, in the line between City are a squad and a machine and you can take any cog out and put another cog in and, and nothing really changes in terms of performances or results. And Kevin De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League. So having Kevin De Bruyne back obviously will make a difference to the team. I, you see what I mean? Do you feel that his impact, yeah. the impact he will have coming back will be something that we will significantly feel or will it just almost feel like, you know, if you squint, it can be Bernardo and, and David Silva? Now, I think you've, you've got to feel it was someone of his class. I mean, even in a team of superstars, I just think that him being on the pitch lifts his teammates. Yeah. Uh, and the, I think even to the point that you you look to him if, you know, in a tough match to do something, even, on, you know, with the likes of Saturday Sterling, I think he, he has an effect on those around him. Uh, so I think, I think the rest of the squad and his teammates will be so happy to see him back on the pitch because he just give something else. Uh, I think he's more than just another superstar in the team. Mm. 
Um, Steve, what about for you? Um, if you look at kind of, yeah, I mean, like if you if you look at the impact that De Bruyne potentially can have on the rest of the season, um, can we go up another level as a team? And I think that's the root of what I'm trying to to understand or figure out is I kind of, I look at it from the point of view of our rivals. If Hazard is missing for as much of the season as De Bruyne has been missing for, or if Mo Salah is missing for as much of the season as De Bruyne has been missing for, when those players come back, you would imagine that the bounce at those clubs would be utterly enormous and that everybody would just go, well, it's just going to be a manifestly better team now. Is it the same for us with KDB? Absolutely, it's the same. Um, and yet, it's not the same because when you look at Hazard with Chelsea and you look at Salah with, with Liverpool, you would expect a significant dip in, in, you know, if, if they're missing for a significant period. Whereas with City, you compare the goals scored and the goals conceded this season to last. Very comparable indeed. So that's without KDB. Um so we've got the best of both worlds, really. It, it's both a, a real positive reflection on the team and how we're set up and what we've got under Pep. Um, that we can miss a player like De Bruyne and still be as kind of formidable as you said. The kind of it's a machine and there are cogs in that machine. But it, it's not contradictory to say be, that it's different when KDB comes in that we do move up a level. And it's not different because, you know, as Howard said, we're talking about one of the top five footballers in the world. Um, arguably one of the top three footballers in the world. He's going to make a huge difference this City side. When he came back, uh, it was just immediately noticeable. Just the movement, just the kind of, the, the, the passes, the fluidity. Um, it just all kind of was so reminiscent of last season. You just find yourself just relaxing a little bit in your seat. You kind of you're, you're watching a you know you're watching a great play. Um, yeah, he takes us up a level undoubtedly. And the best thing of all, I mean, it sucks to have one of your footballers injured. Of course it does. There are no upsides to that. But in hindsight, there can be an upside. And in that hindsight, for us, is if he does stay fit, he's going to be you know reaching peak freshness in January, February, March, when, you know, the Salars and the Hazards are starting to look a bit jaded. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all good on it. I, I'm delighted he's back, and I think he's going to really improve a team that you can't really imagine can improve that much. Mm. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I think it's a good, very good point you make about his freshness. I think with the amount of football that he'd played, I think Guardiola said that, you know, maybe these injuries have been a little bit of a blessing in terms of giving him the type of rest, which means that, as you say, when he comes back, he's going to be maybe fresher than some of the the, the top players at, at our rival clubs. And, and also, sorry, but just to add to that as well, because that, that is, you know, that point what I made is not an original one. People have, have made that. And, uh, and and we do see that a player returning from injury, um, they can say, okay, for the latter half of the season, it's like it's like having a new player is a cliche, isn't it? Um, but what really isn't ever kind of considered as well is how much he's going to enjoy his football again. You know, how frustrated he's been sitting there with his kind of sons watching kind of a team play without him uh, over a long period of time. He's going to be loving his football again. KDB loving his football. Yes, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. Listen, um, before we kind of look forward to uh, the weekend and going to kind of little look at the... Um, 
at the title race and the next three games that City and Liverpool have got before uh, before they play each other at the Etihad. Uh, quick word on the Solskjaer appointment, because we talked about it before we started the pod. And I feel as though I've got a point of view that's maybe a little bit... Um, Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm... Time will tell. Yeah, I guess time will tell. But I'm, I'm a little surprised at the reaction to the appointment of him, just in the sense that if you look at how bad United were, and it goes back to the point I made earlier when we were talking about the Champions League, living inside the Premier League bubble, listening to Mourinho's um, kind of incessant holding up of his own history, um, we lost sight of how bad United were. And I think that United in the last month have been worse than anything we've seen at any point since Ferguson left. I thought they've been utterly, utterly atrocious to the point where, I mean, I said it in thinking the review podcast when we touched upon this, you could put me in charge of, of the first, of that United first team and the results would improve massively because ultimately they've got good players there, some really good players there and they absolutely are not, they're not half as bad as they've shown in the last two or three months. So, I, and I just don't see what the alternatives were. I think you know, with Solskjaer, they'll it doesn't matter if he's a crap coach or if he's tactically rubbish. I mean, they'll they'll flat track the teams that they're meant to flat track. The dressing room will, you know, improve, put a smile on their faces, and they'll, you know, their their trajectory will be, I think, uh, upwards as opposed to the kind of rapid descent that they were under under Mourinho um Howard do you want to tell me why I'm insane <laughs> what about this or just other reasons <laughs> oh, let's start with this uh no well what can I say it's just a. I I mean yeah we can laugh at it it just seems as though and I don't know the reasoning behind it I think basically yeah obviously anyone could come in even Paulin's uh, suggestions of Steve Bruce and uh, Mark Hughes <laughs> would probably have been an improvement on Mourinho. Uh, the way I see it is, it's a bit strange. I'm guessing they've got someone in the summer. They're talking about making this Solskjaer one permanent. I think that's just a diversion tactic for what they really plan. And he is here as a caretaker. We don't know really. I know he was a disaster at Cardiff Uh but more successful back in Norway. I think if you, it depends. If you look at it just as where United are with him in charge, then it's bizarre. We've got Pep Guardiola. They've got an ex-player who's not got a sparkling managerial career and one light years ahead there in every shape and form. But then, of course, yeah, you compare what they've just got rid of Mourinho, then it looks a bit better. As a caretaker, it's a caretaker appointment. So at the end of the day, it is what it is. They're just they're already looking towards the summer. But my general feeling is, he's probably an average manager. Things will get better because just by Mourinho leaving, is immediately a lot of those players are just going to be on cloud <coughs> on cloud nine now. Sorry. So, you know, it's not the Solskjaer effect. It's the effect of the, the manager going. I don't think he's anything special, but as you know, time will tell. 
I just my problem is this feeling that getting managers in that know the club, I just think is tosh, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just don't agree. If if so, you know, I think I said this oh, I've said it a few times this week, so apologies for repeating myself. I'll be brief that if he hadn't been an ex United player, we'd really we'd be like scratching our heads at this appointment. But because he is a, an ex United player, somehow this will make United better. I'm not sure myself. I don't know what it is he gets about the club. Like attacking football, playing youth, blah, blah. Everyone knows this anyway. All fans want that. Uh, I don't understand what he knows since he left there many, 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 many years ago that will somehow help him gain more points and win more matches. So that's the side of it. I just don't understand doing an internal... If you're going to have a successful internal, it's someone who was already there, who's been working with the players, who's been working with youth players, who is ingrained already in the club. Getting an ex someone who's just played there in the past doesn't do it for me at all. Okay. I just don't see how that has an effect. It may, really successful. Good he may be successful, but it won't be because he knows the club. Yeah, there's a really good article by uh, Michael Cox yesterday. On, on that very subject. Oh, I've not seen it. No. And um, he basically says, you know, but it is always a load of tosh and it is just this kind of empty cliche that people kind of spout when a former player comes back to manage a club because really, what does it amount to? How do you know a football club? You know the way to the ground, you know the way, which is the home dressing room, which is the away dressing room. <laughs> you might know the lady on reception as, you know, we've seen on social media with uh, Solskjaer giving a receptionist a, a box of chocolates. That's pretty much it. Um, and when you're talking about the United way or the West Ham way or whatever, again, more times than not, that's tosh. And particularly with Solskjaer and United, because like Michael Cox said in this article, United didn't have a defining philosophy under Sir Alex Ferguson. They, they, they knew how to win, and they did so in, in a number of different ways over a course of a number of different seasons with a, a, a whole litany of, of different players. Um, you know, you can go through season by season with United during under Ferguson and you say, right, well, that's 4 4 1 1, that's 4 4 2, and they're playing on like a wide kind of um, possession placed based football, kind of, uh, and this is 4 5 1 now. And now, you know, like in 2013, we're basically heavily relying on two excellent strikers. You, there is no kind of um, defining philosophy what Oli Solskjaer knows from United, apart from exactly what you said, Howard, about, you know, attacking, going for three points rather than settling for one point. So in that regard, great. That's what United need right now. And he's a, he's a Philip for the, for the fans. Um, but they're infused right now. They're excited. They're optimistic again. And because he's a temporary appointment and, you know, he knows the coaching chops, he knows how to be a coach, irrespective of whether he's a good one or a bad one, yeah, it's it's not the worst appointment in the world. It's it was a surprising one, but not the worst one. My take on it all this week has come from a media perspective, and I've just found it absolutely hilarious because United fans are infused, thus the media are infused because they ally themselves with the feelings of United supporters. So when Mourinho's crap and United's crap and the, and the fans are angry, then the press are angry and they'll turn on Mourinho. When the United fans are infused and excited, then the press are infused and excited. They are pathetic. <laughs> they are though, aren't they? Come mate, on. Mate, 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 mate. I just want to say one thing, right? I, I think it's really funny that um, 
Look, when Van Hal was on his way out, yeah, um, the media in Britain were like, there is only one man on planet Earth for this job, and that is Jose Mourinho. And that was reflected in all of the crap that was written about the Pep-Mourinho rivalry and, ooh, Guardiola's going to be so nervous and all of that sort of stuff. Fast forward two and a half years, it's obviously gone tits up. And now the same press are like, Mourinho was a terrible appointment. He never fit United. He never fit the club. He never understood the club. Ed Woodward is under massive pressure now because he has to appoint the right guy because he made such a hash of the last appointment. And it's just like, lads, you were all up Mourinho's ass two and a half years ago. You were giving it the big one about how he's going to you know, put Pep in his place and how he's got the advantage over Pep because he's managed in the league before and all of that sort of stuff. And Well, I mean, you mentioned Pep there. That's what I was going to move on to as well because when Pep Guardiola joined Manchester City, he was widely considered to be the best coach in the world and he had a CV to back that up. It was trophy after trophy, title after title in two different countries, never mind reimagining modern football as we know it. And what was the narrative there in the press? Oh, can he handle the Premier League? Oh, he's going to find it tough. Oh, he's, he's got a sharp learning curve for, for Guardiola. Only got at Solskjaer has joined United this week with a fairly respectable kind of record in Norwegian football, which is pretty much Sunday league football in comparison to English football. Um, an atrocious record at Cardiff. And what what's the press saying? Oh, yeah, but have you seen how he plays with Mould? He's going to get him playing like this. And, oh, he's going to play in 4-4-2. It's going to be a return to Sir Alex's days. What the hell is going on? Well, we know what's going on. The press basically <laughs> just reflect United's fan base because they're so significant in number. But that's not to say that we shouldn't find it absolutely pathetic and absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, right, boys. The entire, sorry, the, one final thing. The entire reason they signed Mourinho was because we signed Pep. And that's why the PR by certain, I don't have to name names, the PR campaign about how Pep was scared of him began because it had to convince the United fan base that despised Mourinho in the past, that he was the man to take on Pep and beast him and be successful. Uh and that's where we're at, that United are making decisions to react to City's decisions. Which is why, if it really works out for United, we're going to have to bring in Paul Molden. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It could do a job. Yeah, too right. I love Paul Molden. Well, right, boys, you know, let's, let's talk about yeah. the title race. I, I got injured once, by the way, because of Paul Molden. <laughs> True story. Well, you're going to have to tell the story. I was 11 man. years old and we did cross-country running in school. And, you know, I, he had that kind of weird distinctive running style or like yes. at least a jogging style. Um, for some weird reason, I was 11, you know what I mean? He was like my hero and all the rest of it. So I, I ran like he did. And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I kind of hurt my hip. I was kind of, uh, for about a week, I had a real painful hip because I was Hashtag running like Paul Bolton. Hashtag content. Um, are you done I with that? I'll share that with anyone. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. I'm, okay, I'm cool. creating it already. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the title race. So, I think City and Liverpool have got three games each before they play each other at the Etihad. Um, it's an interesting moment, I think, in uh, in in this season's title race. I think that I've seen a few people say this week, which I agree with, uh, that 
the the predictions a month ago that no matter what happens, City will finish 10, 12 points ahead of Liverpool. Mm, not so convinced by that. I think they were a little bit premature. Howard, I'll start with you. Just looking at the next three, Liverpool have got Wolves away and then Newcastle and Arsenal at home before they come to the Etihad. City have got Palace, Leicester and Southampton. I think it's fair to say that, that our fixtures are slightly easier. So do you think we need to be at full time at the Etihad fixture four games from now? Do you think we need to be ahead of them in the league table? No, because it's not the end of the season, is it? So, okay, <laughs> <laughs> can't put it, can't put it in plainer terms than that. So, I, I'll, I, I'll, I think I'll the last it. thing I want, sorry, yeah. the last thing I want is to be going into the Liverpool game at least, you know, at least three, two, three points behind them in the table, because then you've got the up, you know, they've got the chance to go like six points clear, and then. You really start panicking. It's you know, it's not our season. It is theirs. Uh, I could. The problem is, you say ours are easier, but I can still see them winning those three. Uh, Arsenal. I just wonder if they're going into a bit of a dip. But of course, they're at home to Arsenal. At home to Newcastle, they should win. Uh, we'll see. We'll uh, we'll see just where Wolves are at tonight. Uh, whether they give them a test. But the wonder one, they could win those three. Uh, I think it's important that we're just we're very close to them in the table going into that uh, January the 3rd fixture. Mm. Uh, if we're ahead, all the better. It uh, takes the pressure off a little bit. Steve, do you think that we need to uh, halt Liverpool's momentum? Do you think we need uh, to strike yeah. some kind of psychological blow at the Etihad? Yeah, absolutely. And um, particularly if, if Liverpool do manage to prevail through these three fixtures yeah um, personally I think Wolves is going to be immensely difficult for them um, tonight and I think Arsenal could cause them a lot of problems at Anfield too that kind of Liverpool Arsenal something always weird happens it's some kind of alchemy in the actual kind of uh, DNA of that fixture you always get some kind of weird 4-3 or a kind of a, a nine minute hat trick or just something odd mm. so you know that, that could throw something up but if that's not the case, and if Liverpool get nine points from those three games, it's down to us to really kind of put a stop to this and, and to their momentum. Personally, I still believe that we're going to win the league by eight points by the season's end. I think it'll be close going into the last kind of you know six weeks or so. I think we'll ultimately go into the last couple of weeks, five points clear, um, and then you know maybe a lot of the fight will have gone out of Liverpool. I, th- I think it's going to end with an eight-point difference by the season's end. Um, but a lot of that is kind of depending on us and how we do when we play Liverpool. You know, it's, we've got a draw at Anfield. Great. Take that all day long. It's now down to us to get the three points against them at Etihad. It's a huge fixture, regardless of how the next three games go, really. It's a huge fixture. Mm. Um, Howard... I think Steve's being wildly optimistic there. We're going to come the end of the season. We're going to be. You know, I won't be. Yeah. Well, that's why. That's why. That's why I'm throwing it back over to you. Would you like to? Would you like to maybe temper Steve's optimism in terms of looking at the input? Because if Steve's right and we're winning this league by eight to eleven points, I don't need to talk about the fixture on on the second or third of January anymore. It's not important. Yeah, we're going to walk it. 
If on no, the no, other hand, on, whoa, 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 we need to we need to beat Liverpool in order to get those eight points ahead. You know, it's, it's right. Okay. It's a six. Po- it's a six pointer, isn't it? Of course, it is. Okay. Okay. Um, so, Howard, just a final word on Liverpool before we look at City's fixture this weekend. Well, Wolves, Liverpool, really. Um, can Wolves and, and Nuno Espirito Santo land a blow on on them to tonight? You, do they you? Can. Well, they can. Yeah, uh, the forms the form looked like it was trailing off big time a month ago, but they seem to have got the the mojo back. Obviously, they beat they came from behind to beat Chelsea, uh, and they were damn good at uh, Arsenal. Uh, you know, just from the highlights or so, they should have won that easier. That's quite a few weeks ago now. Uh, and Arsenal were you know, right in the middle of the great form then. So yeah, we're sure. You know, it depends. Do we get the sort of performance that they gave against us early in the season? But then the pessimist in me says, even that Wolves performance of ours, we should have, you know, just think of the things their goal shouldn't have stood. There was, you know, so many, a few near misses for us and last-ditch tackles. We still, most days, would have won that. And I just wonder if they're going to have to be very organised because I do wonder how the defence stands up to Liverpool's attack. Mm. But, but they are coming into this game with confidence and that's a great thing to have so yeah I mean I think and, and let's be honest sorry uh, one final point let's be honest they have got some <laughs> you know very good players well uh, that's that's what I was going to say just, I think they struggle to I still think they don't have enough goals in them so if Liverpool score first I will worry about Wolves but then you know I would have said that when Chelsea took the lead and they came back so I think they're going to have to score a couple of goals to get something out of this game so that's key for me that they're attacking, uh, well, they have to be clinical. Once they get a chance, they'll need to take it. So. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, where you're going to beat Liverpool is is in midfield. I don't think, I think their back four is pretty, pretty strong and I think the front three is very strong. I think that's where you're going to get the upper hand and I kind of look at Wolves and look at Neves and Martinho and, and what they've going, got going on in centre mid and, and I, I feel like, but yeah, that's where the game is going to be won or lost yeah. for, for Wolves. I feel like if they can control... A little bit what Liverpool are trying to do through the midfield. They can kind of dominate that area of the pitch and they can remain compact enough that, you know, when Liverpool hit those long balls into the channels for the for their forwards that they can they can deal with those. Then I think you can frustrate Liverpool. I think you saw with United at 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 one one, um, you know, Liverpool were not creating tons and tons and tons after after United brought it back to 1-1 and you and you wonder if you if you blunt them for long enough whether they get a little bit frustrated so now absolutely I'm, agree yeah yeah uh, I'm really looking forward to it tonight I feel like you know I feel like it's a big one I, I, not in the sense that city need them to drop points but I think psychologically Again, I look at that. That's why I think these three games are so important because I actually think that it's entirely possible, in fact, likely that come that Etihad game, we're already ahead of them in the table. I think that if we're already ahead of them in the table, I think we have the potential to do a serious, serious psychological dent to to them and their title challenge by getting ourselves to a point, two points ahead of them before the Etihad derby, win, the derby, sorry, winning the winning the, the the tie at the Etihad as well, and then getting that daylight that begins to make them 
panic a little bit because let's be honest, right? For all one of the things that blows my mind about Liverpool and their title challenge is the fact that we literally reside inside the heads of Liverpool supporters. Any Liverpool podcast that I turn on, yeah, last week they're previewing whatever game they're playing. They spent thirty minutes talking about City and how we're obsessed with <laughs> them. And I'm going, oh, mm, lads, hold on, oh, oh, hold on. I mean, I do a lot of podcasts, and in the last two months, I don't think we've talked a lot about Liverpool. I mean, they're doing, and if we have talked about them, yeah, it's generally pretty complimentary. It's generally, you know, the idea that, well, they are going to mount a title challenge. They have to be taken seriously. I listen to the nonsense that comes from the, from the Liverpool side. Anyway, the point is, I feel like we live inside their heads. I feel like it'll be, it'll be very easy for them to lose their heads in a way that I don't think we would. I think even if we were six points behind Liverpool come January, I don't think any of us slot would be going, that's the title race over. I think we'd be going, we've got a fight on our hands, but you'd feel like you were up for it. I think if Liverpool end up six points behind, I think they're done. Of course, yeah. Klopp kind of works off emotion a lot. So, depend. yeah, if your channel's out the wrong way, then it can all go to pop. You know, some will say that's why he loses a lot of finals. Uh, and... I can't remember our fixture list off by heart, but I do think the running is fairly gentle. So it's about getting to that March-April time. If we're close to the top, then, yeah, we've got every single chance because I think a lot of the big games are done by then. So all, to, or, almost to, um, all of them. So. Just to respond to all of that, um, I completely agree with all of it, really. When you, when you said about Liverpool, you know, how we reside in Liverpool fans' heads, if you try and point that out to a Liverpool fan and you try and point out the hypocrisy of them believing that it's the other way around, and you get them to accept it, really, you could sort Brexit out. <laughs> it's the hardest thing in the world to get a Liverpool fan to actually appreciate the hypocrisy of what they're saying um, as regards to kind of who's obsessed with who. Um, it's just infuriating, and I've just let it go. Um, you mentioned there about United as well, and when it was 1-1, uh, I think you're bang on there, to be honest, Asian. I think that's a real kind of, not a flaw in, in Liverpool's setup, but just kind of, you know, a little kind of dint in their armour where they do tend to, if they can, if they are finding it difficult to break a team down, they lack a certain type of patience that, you know, City has. Um, I saw Lovren take a shot from 35 yards. Um, I saw a couple of other defenders actually take long-range uh, pot shots when it was 1-1 at United. Uh, Anfield, sorry, and I thought United have gone on me, yeah, you know. And okay, you could say they were fortunate with the two deflected goals. I would argue actually that you know Liverpool got what they deserved. Really, they were the only team looking to win that game, but it still came down to two deflected goals. And Liverpool, to that point, was starting to look a little bit worried, and it was coming through in their performance. Um, and finally, I think you're absolutely bang on. I think if City get their noses in front, Liverpool will kind of fall apart the seams somewhat because they it's not just Klopp who's based on kind of so much emotion. The club is. Yep. This is the title for them is a cause. It's an absolute cause. It's it's we've been deprived of it for a lifetime. We won the league last season by getting hundred points. We're the Centurions. We've got the arrogance of being Centurions and I mean that in the best possible way. So if we do go five points behind Liverpool, we've We've got an incredible team. What got a hundred points last season? You think? Yeah, we can pull up. Oh, I think their heads will go. I think they'll be yeah. done. I think it, it says. I, I, 
not much is meant it's it's not made much mention of now, but if you think back to sort of late September, early October, around the period that we're two points ahead of Liverpool, only two points, bearing in mind it's October, and half their supporter base lost their heads. Do you know what I mean? They they were literally yeah. going like, it's not fair, we're never going to win this title. Like, you know, the Anfield Rap did an entire podcast on how Jurgen Klopp is probably planning his... Uh, next contract extension at Liverpool. They basically did a podcast where they were going, yeah, you know what? I think that what's going to happen is Klopp is going to have his eye on staying at Liverpool for at least two or three seasons after Guardiola leaves City just so he can get some big trophies on the uh, on the board. I mean, this is... Uh, and, and we apparently, yeah, they live inside our heads. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then they're doing podcasts and like literally they're going, yeah, well, our manager is probably going to plan his entire career around when Pep Guardiola leaves Man City. It's like, Jesus. Well, I, I've written quite a bit about Liverpool recently. I've been really, you know, complimentary about them because rightfully so, let's face it. It's incredible what they've done to this point this season um, and incredible what Klopp's done too. But I will say as a significant caveat and referring to um, the game at the Etihad on January 3rd, it's based almost entirely on momentum. And, that's, you know, and, and it doesn't take anything away from how impressive that is, but it's based almost entirely on momentum. And if we can stop, just hold that momentum, if we can just pull the handbrake up on them, then I, I don't know, will they, in the words of Stevie G, will they go again? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think it's important. I think if we did get ourselves ahead, I think that they would uh, they would very quickly begin to look at the the Champions League as a priority. I imagine. Um, yeah, true. I, I think that they're they're that way inclined. I don't think they're up for a fight. They're up for a fight right now because they're in a fight and it feels easy. Um, but they were panicking at two points. If the gap was four, five, six points, I don't think they'd have the. Uh, I don't think they'd have the stomach for it. Not the support base, not the squad, not even Klopp, who is somebody who this season has shown uh, on several occasions uh, signs of pressure. And I think they have been very, very, very lucky. Uh, and you do kind of make your own luck, but they have been very lucky. So yeah, I'm. Uh, it's gonna be. It's gonna be an interesting uh, Christmas and New Year period. I think. Um, I it's what kind of why I wanted to talk about Liverpool because we haven't talked about them for ages and I did kind of look at the Christmas period and, and the last kind of 10 days it's definitely been interesting listening to their media and how being top of the league has given them a kind of like I mean look I get it that you know they're Liverpool Football Club and their history and so they they feel a sense of arrogance and a sense of entitlement but when you listen to the triumphalism is that a word? Triumph, yeah, should be. If it's not, it should be. If you look at the the manner of that coming from them, you'd think they'd already won something. If that makes sense, and they all like Tianfield Rap have said today. Really? Yeah. There you go. It's the title of their article or podcast. Or there you go. I mean, they're they're absolutely they're they're <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, they they do they do just love to set themselves up for a fall. I think that's probably the, that we, I should, that's the last word on Liverpool. They do just love to set themselves up for a fall. The next well, one is going to be very interesting. Well, we beat them to the title. We only need to draw against West Ham last game. With two goals up with seven minutes to go, someone stood up saying "Champions" and got absolutely melted. Sit <laughs> <laughs> the fuck down. <laughs> we haven't done this yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
93 oh. minutes, that's when you're allowed, when yeah. there could not be a three-goal turnaround, <laughs> that's when you're allowed to sing champion. Excellent. So look, before we get too complacent about City's game against uh, Crystal Palace and Hodgie, um, I wanted to have like a... I wanted to have a whole discussion discussion on Hodgie and whether managers like him are done in the Premier League. And what I mean by that are very reactive managers. Because he's really like, uh, I listened to an interview with, um, is it Brenger Hangerland, who played under him at Fulham, yeah. who was on uh, Radio 5 Live this week. And he was, kind of, he was specifically talking about how managers, uh, s- managers suit certain clubs and that it's not... As simple as top, if you're a top manager, you'll work at every club. And he used Hodgson as an example. He's like, Roy Hodgson's the best manager that I've worked under. It didn't work out at Liverpool because he was absolutely the wrong manager for Liverpool. And he had this whole conversation about playing reactive football and how Hodgson is perfect to play reactive football. And I just wonder whether, um, in short, in the Premier League, the quality of players that are in the league the number of coaches who demand now that their players keep the ball and play football is making it harder and harder for guys like Hodgson to do what they used to do so well and so effectively. Um, Steve, what do you reckon? I think it's a fair point, absolutely. I, I think Hodgson, though, although you know he is one of that old guard, of course he is, I mean, his age dictates that more than it, as, as much as anything else. I think uh, he'd... He does have more strings to his bow. I think he is quite an erudite. I'm, I'm anything but a fan of Roy Hodgson, by the way, but there are certain undeniables here that he is quite a, an astute, erudite, learned football coach. Um, and I think it may appear that he kind of is quite a singular um, you know, reactionary manager right now because of a club he's at. But then again, you could also argue that that approach is working for Crystal Palace. You know, he's kept them in the top flight and... Um, he keeps his players on board. Uh, the fans are happy with him. Uh, it's quite a relatively happy ship there, uh, or, or you know, considering that they are 15th in the Premier League right now. Um, and you look at the clubs around him and, and say the chaos at Newcastle in comparison, who are above Palace. So I think as a general point, I absolutely agree that the kind of reactionary managers are basically being phased out of the modern game. Um, and funny enough, we saw one go this week, uh, <laughs> and and there'll be less and less of him. And you know, personally speaking, I will not miss him for one one instant. Um, you know, when you, when it delights me that David Moyes has his reputation as just you know uh, being dismantled in the manner that it has. It delights me that Alan Pardew's reputation has has been dismantled in the manner <laughs> that it has, and, and the list can go you know right way right down. To the very bottom of the pit where Jabba the Hutt, Sam Allardyce, you know, resides. So I'm I'm really chuffed that these kind of dinosaur managers are being phased out in the modern game. But like I say, as much as I, you know, I'm, I'm not his fan at all, Roy Hodgson, but I would make an exception for him. I think he does bring something. Um, I would say like Claude Puel, you could put him in there as well, but we don't think of him in that way because he's foreign. You know, he's yeah. it, there are you know similarities between the two coaches, and it works for these clubs, for Leicester's and the Crystal Palaces, to have an erudite kind of um, you know seasoned coach who can kind of offer different things throughout the course of a season. But the main kind of through, you know, the main vein of what they provide is 
a kind of an underdog spirit of kind of you know picking a point off off you know United at Old Trafford like as, as Hodgson has done this season, um, making sure you get the three points if you're at home to Huddersfield Town, um, and it's enough to, to, for a club to survive in the Premier League. Ultimately, there's so much money in the Premier League these days. That's sadly what what counts more than anything. I think it'll be interesting because I don't know how I don't know how much longer it will guarantee survival. I think Puel, by the way, is odds on to be the next manager to be sacked. Uh, yeah, true. Absolutely. Yeah. An awful, awful lot of pressure. Um, Howard, just looking at the Palace game from a City uh, selection headache point of view, I believe that Guardiola has two headaches up front and left back. I think everywhere else the team will more or less pick itself. Um, up front. Aguero to get more minutes in his legs or Jesus because Jesus looked like he was coming into some form before Aguero got the League Cup game? Yeah, I don't know. Could I just say quickly on Hudson? <laughs> Surely he's got to be a success because he knows the club inside out. He used to be a youth player. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. He knows where the home dressing room is. Gets it, DNA. He knows how to get to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, if Solskjaer can get United to the ground, that's better than... <laughs> they've been struggling. They couldn't even do that in recent games. Couldn't they get to the ground on time? So it's already oh. one up on Mourinho. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, no, I thought, yeah, Hudson did. Early days, I think he, Hudson did have an effect there. You know, but that's just the new manager who's coming in after... I don't think they'd even scored a goal that season before when he arrived. But... Uh, yeah, back to City. I don't. I don't know. Aisha, to be honest, that is a real fifty-fifty. My thought is that Aguero. There is a theory with plenty of evidence that Aguero uh, Sergio is a bit rusty when he comes back from injury, and we'll want to get him back up to speed. So I think he'll get the start. To be honest, it probably is harsh on Jesus if he started scoring goals that he now has to to drop again. Uh, but to be honest, I can't call it. I don't know what, I, or can't tell you how Pep's going to call it. It could go either way with this. Okay. Uh, I think they'll be rotated over the. If they both stay fit, I think it'll literally be a rotation one, one in, one out over the. Up leading up to the next, leading up to the uh, Liverpool game. Okay. So, what was the other choice? Sorry, left back. Or did you just ask me that one? No, up front and left back is the other one where I think there's a little left bit. Left back, like... yeah. I think it'll just be doubtful coming. Okay. Um, Steve, would you would you go along with that? Do you think Delphin and and then it's hard to call on the on the other one? Yeah, well, personally, I think it would be Zinchenko, uh, mm. but it's just pure uh, my interpretation on it. I saw nothing more than that. Uh, but yeah, it's so hard to call between Aguero and Jesus for this one. But I would kind of go with Aguero for the reasons that Howard said as well. Uh, can I just add as well? I think I'm doing too many pods with Howard because I'm now <laughs> I'm now coming up to games like at home to Crystal Palace and I'm seeing kind of you know a nil nil. I'm seeing a, a real a, a struggle to break them down, um, and that never used to be the case. I apologise. Uh, Howard's, Howard's pessimism is is, it, yeah. is is infecting. Yeah. It's infecting everybody like a virus. Howard, I know. I thought so. Oh, I missed the last game. I thought, oh, is he injured? That's good. I mean, I don't want a serious injury, but if you, you know, but he wasn't yeah. suspended. So. <laughs> but it just shows what a rut they're in. That I think that's the first time they managed to win a game against Leicester. It was one nil. It was yeah, without Zaha for an absolute you know ten blue moons. Basically, it's it shows how dependent they are on one. Well, that's in a way. the thing with Hudson. That's the nub of what I said. I, I know I rambled on before very quickly, but he basically has, has said to his teammates, right. This is the real talent in, this, in the team, getting the ball to him. And he said to Zaha, you're the main man, 
do what you have to do. How can and, that be a... Uh, I can't. Here's the thing, here's the thing though, Aysan, right? So I'm split completely down the middle on this because that's what Alan Ball did at Southampton with Matt Letizia. And, you know, God, God bless the man, but Alan Ball, you know, had his kind of limitations as a football coach. Yeah, it worked at Southampton for Alan Ball. Bro, it football's works. moved on. Football, yeah. f- football's moved on massively, and I think. Well, the that, evidence is there in the four wins of Palace have had and the seventy and the fifteen points have accrued so far. I mean, I do agree though. I'm split down the middle on it. It's it do, it's effective, and yet it's it's very limited. As see, well. I don't even think I don't even think it's a, it's effective. I think I think Palace go down this season. Simple as. I think that for 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 all this conversation, we get to the end of the season, and I think that they will go down. And I think if you look at the players that they have if you write the players that they down that they've got on a, down on a piece of paper you look at the values of some of those players the transfer fees that they came came in for they're all you know some of those are international players then then you begin to look at Oji and you go that's disgraceful do you know what i mean there's some real tiny team garbage in the premier league and palace with the players that they've got should not be even thinking about relegation and the fact that they are, I think, is down to, to to Hodgson being such a dinosaur and so finished. But then I said I've said the same thing about Sean Dyche for years, and he's still around. So <laughs> well, maybe not for much longer. Yeah, who, as regards who to knows? Burnley, anyway. Who knows? Right, listen, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, give me a score prediction, please, uh, Steve. Uh, Palace City. Who's winning? What's the score? Nil nil. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it'll, it will be tight, this one. I really do think we'll struggle to break them down. Uh, I think it's going to be 2-0. Okay. Howard? City and kept a clean sheet seven games on the row, have they? So, no. Uh, so with that in mind, 3-0. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I was going to go you, with... Go on. Sorry, if you if you watch the... Uh, just looking at their squad, uh, if you watch the new... I'm going totally off <laughs> kill to it. Have you watched the Sunderland... Uh, oh yeah, documentary on. Yeah. Not yet. John, it's oh, depressing. Like, Johnny, it, Williams, it, Johnny Williams plays for Palace now, so yeah, it's very interesting anyway. So uh, it's it's well worth watching, Sam, but it is depressing. Yeah, um, yeah, because yeah, it's just yeah, the opposite of the Centurions. Yeah, yeah. whatever it was called. It's sorry. on my list of things to watch over Christmas. So I'll definitely yeah. be uh, I'll definitely be giving it a view. Um, okay, I'm gonna I was gonna go with uh, I was gonna go with three 0 Howard, but. I'm, I'm going to go with a tight 1-0 now, but I think we will keep a clean sheet. Um, just on the selections, I think, uh, although if he does this, I don't agree with it, my gut is telling me, for whatever reason, that Aguero won't start tomorrow, that Jesus will be given uh, the start. Um, I'll be pretty surprised or disappointed if that happens, but I think that's what's going to happen. I think left-back, I agree with with Steve. I think it's going to be Zinchenko. And yeah, I think we'll win 1-0. Uh, rock and roll. That was the Friday show. Last Friday show before Christmas. Howard, got, Merry Christmas. Sorry, sorry, I've got an extra item agenda. Oh, 30 go on. seconds. Go on. Go we, on haven't di- we haven't discussed the Cap- uh, the Carabao Cup draw. Oh, Burton. And all I will say is that's probably... I mean, there's a lot of... Oh, we've got easy draws. We've been we've done very well to get Schalke, Rotherham, Burton. Obviously, as group winners in the Champions League, we had a, yeah, we were always likely to get easier games than any other English side because they were all second in their, their, their groups. And by being second, they eliminated some of the teams we could play anyway. Uh, third round of the FA Cup, obviously, you've always got a fair chance of getting a smaller team because there's loads of them left. But Burton was obviously a one in three chance, and I think it's the best timed easy. I say easy, you know, 
<laughs> I mean, we should win it, let's be honest. Uh, it's the best time draw we could possibly have because that's two games gone that goes into January. And if we're playing Chelsea or Spurs, that would have given Liverpool a, a boost in the title race, I think. Yeah, so for just, sure. Just to say, I think that's a very well-timed, absolutely easy I mean, draw. That's a very, very, very good point. And I completely agree. I think it completely, for us, we're in that position where those semifinals now don't look problematic in the way that they would have done had we got anybody else. Um, and I just, just look- quickly say as well, sorry, mate, but about Burton itself, uh, I wrote about them at the start of the year and, you know, I was I don't didn't know a lot about Burton before I did so so I did a lot of research on them um just online and oh what a club fair dues what what an achievement they've done in the last kind of 10 years it's amazing so I'm so chuffed we've got them uh I hope it, they're both really good games obviously I hope City prevail but and I hope there's a real good kind of affinity between the, the fan bases as well and it's all it's all good basically because they deserve it they their achievement has been outstanding the last 10 years. Lovely. Right. Howard, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Merry Christmas to you. And a Happy New Year. Steve, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Although we'll, Merry be back. Christmas. we'll be back with a review before Christmas, but for the right. last Friday show. It's the last Friday show before Christmas. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry uh, Friday show Christmas. Yeah, indeed. To everybody who listened, thank you very much for listening. Have a lovely Christmas. We'll be back. Think next Friday with a Friday show, although I haven't confirmed that, but I think we will be back next Friday with a Friday show. Um, 9320 player members and even those people who aren't members over the Christmas period, all of our content will be available on SoundCloud. So check it out. And if you like what we do, you can head over to the website and sign up. There'll be uh, loads of podcasts in the new year. Uh, we're going to keep them coming. In the meantime, be safe, be well. And as always, up the blues.